You are listening to Beyond the Measure, episode 21. Listen as I, a young composer, and my wife, a young choir director, interview other music educators in order to gain insight into their own success in the classroom. We have a lot to learn, and we want you to learn with us. No matter your age, ensemble, or experience, this is the ideal podcast for music educators, composers, and students alike. So join us as we go beyond the measure. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Measure, a podcast for music educators where me and Kara, we do lots of fun stuff. We talk to music teachers now around the globe because <laughs> we are finally uh, able to record interviews online. Uh, and so this is actually our first online interview. And uh, even though he's actually from the Abilene area, it kind of worked out. Uh, he was, it'd be better to do a, an online interview. So here we are. My name is Christian, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host. Oh, you want me to say, oh, it's Kara, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all right. We, we never planned how we do the intros, but uh, uh, how are you doing today, Kara? I'm tired. Why are you tired? Um, busy, busy week. <laughs> had choir concert on Thursday, um, and the next day we had our fundraiser person come, and then Saturday we had region auditions, so it is... But a busy, busy weekend. So. Yes, it was very, very busy week, and I was doing lots of stuff for admissions, and so we're happy to be kind of chilling out today. And uh, we have a very special guest on our show today. We have Dr. John Kramer. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show with us, John. Hey, you bet. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Oh, of course. Yeah, and and so we know Dr. Kramer originally. Um, Dr. Kramer, you were the. Um, it's kind of funny. You were the professor of a couple of our classes at HSU, though we never actually really saw, saw you, you in <laughs> yeah in person because it was online classes. But it was mainly our it was our music history, couple mm-hmm. of our music history yeah. courses, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was fun. <laughs> but uh, uh, we've gotten to know you a little bit better. Um, tell us what do you what do you do here in in Abilene? Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, so the. The primary role that I that I have right now is I'm the head band director at Abilene High School, um, and so I work with the ninth through twelfth band programs, uh, and then oversee the two middle school programs that feed into Abilene High, Craig Middle School and Mann Middle School. Um, but I also do some adjunct teaching, as you guys know, mm-hmm. uh, at Hardin Simmons, um, doing the music history stuff because that's where my my PhD is is centered around is in music history. So it's kind of a kind of a fun side hobby that I've been able to continue mm-hmm. to. Uh, explore and meet people like you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, I know you've been busy with, you know, marching season and all of that going on. Um, how, how's that, how's that been so far? So marching season has been fun. Um, as, as is any large scale project, you know, whether it be a, a musical or, you know, a theatrical production or, uh, you know, trying to do some sort of art installation, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a baby of sorts that you get to watch grow up <laughs> you yeah. know, from the, from its, its, um, conception. And so, uh, marching band is no different. <clears throat> we start that process back in, um, July with actual rehearsals and starting to put the, the foundation in place. And then it just, it's, it's this long three to four month long, um, you know, project that we get to see to its, its final conclusion. And we're, we're almost there now. So it's been a good year. But there's just a lot of time and energy and, and efforts and things like that to go into to seeing it to fruition. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, we've, we've wanted to talk to more people that are more on the band side of, of the spectrum. Cause you know, we mostly know a lot of people in the choral world and, um, and so we don't know a whole lot of people on the band side, but also on top of that recently, because of marching season, it's just been hard to, mm-hmm. to a contact people in general and b them having enough time to, to, you know, to even be able to do something like this. So, uh, so we appreciate you being able to do that. I'm just curious before we even kind of get going, since, you know, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the the band side of things. So you said, you know, you didn't really, I mean, you start, y'all start practicing for all that kind of stuff, like, you know, in the summer before school even starts and everything. So since that's when, when you start with students, I mean, how far in advance are you, are you actually planning what you'll be doing with the students? (laughs) Yeah, so to give you give you a little bit of an understanding, uh, marching season coincides with football season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> hence hence the need for the marching band, right? Yeah. Um, but as soon as football season is starting to wrap up, we're already in discussions about what next year's marching season will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a Texas, you know, Texas centric mm-hmm. thing, but it's definitely. Uh, big business <laughs> around here in Texas. And so we will start some of our initial um, sketches and, and brainstorming sessions uh, towards the end of October, 1st of November. And then if we're going to be outsourcing anything, whether it be in um, getting something arranged for us and or working with a program coordinator, choreography, like any of those things, because it's such a big undertaking, uh, we start those discussions usually before Christmas. And then by the time we're into January or TMEA is kind of like the point of no return for most bigger programs that are trying to uh, to think year round. Um, we usually have something in motion by that point that we've committed to for the next year. So it really it's I wouldn't say it's completely a year round uh, program, but it is definitely something that could be six months to nine months um, in wow. planning preparation before the students start working on it. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, I've I've always known that obviously there is a lot of planning that, that goes into that, especially probably even more than a lot of, you know, things on the choral side. But, um, I don't think I even realized that it's that far in advance. Like, I mean, that's, that's almost a full year. I didn't either. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know about how in general, but I mean, I feel like from what I've heard from you, Kara and other people, I mean, a lot of choral directors don't really start planning for the next year until once the the, the year is over. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, you probably should program everything or like at least schedule whenever things are happening, like in May so that you get first, first come first serve on the, um, schedule and everything. Mm -hmm. But as far as like themes, I have no idea what my pops concert theme in May is going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Yeah. But that's like, that's on a different level than marching band though. So yeah. Well, that's, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing to know. So if there are any young people listening and you're wanting to be a band director, get in the habit now of, of planning stuff far, far in advance. <laughs> and ask lots of questions too, if I can interject. Like, yeah. Um, the, the more you do it, the more adept you become at, at trying to figure out those timelines and things, but mm-hmm. you really don't know what you don't know until mm-hmm. you're thrown in there to do it for the first time. So like the first time that you have to create a pops concert and if you're going to do any kind of like live with choreo or something like that, I mean, there's, there's copyright restrictions and there's Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are we going to sell tickets or, I mean, there's just so many things that you're, you're coming straight out of the teaching profession. You're like, sweet. I got a band or I got a choir yeah. now. And it's like, Oh crap. Now what? <laughs> you yeah. Know? So yeah. Always be a- willing to ask those questions because mm-hmm. yeah. you'll, you'll learn as you go. Yeah. It's just a small little, 
small little aspect of it. There's way more behind the scenes. Yeah. So if you could just go into like what made you like what your musical background is, um, you can go in as in depth or as like quick as you want. Um, Just really depends on you and tell us how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So, so much of my life has, has centered around music. Um, I grew up in a, in a musical family. Uh, my dad was a music minister for a good portion of my life. Uh, my mom was a piano player and, and we had, you know, access to, to those things. Um, officially I started band in sixth grade, like most people do. You know, some people get started a little bit earlier in fifth grade, if that's where those programs are. Um, and some of them can get started late, late beginners, that kind of thing. But mine was pretty traditional in that sense that it started as a beginner in sixth grade. But I had done a lot of, um, I guess, music exposure earlier than that. So we're talking about, you know, children's choirs and, uh, of course, great elementary music programs and uh, being being uh, offered opportunities to go hear live music and, you know, that kind of thing. So it was a part of who I was from from the get go. But jumping into band, starting as a sixth grader, I was a trumpet player and um, immediately fell in love with with all things band, um, stick with it through middle school. And then high school band program was was fantastic uh, that I was able to be a part of and had lots of unique experiences um, that then opened my eyes to the possibility of what it could be to continue down this road post post high school, you know, going into post-secondary education. And initially I thought it might be fun to be a band director, but I was still also thinking about what a lot of my friends were thinking about at the time. So I wasn't like a hundred percent sold on it, uh, which is funny because this is what I've done for my career now. But um, I actually at one point was headed to UT to do honors business and to play in the marching band. Wow. <laughs> Obviously I'm not a longhorn and, uh, I'm, I'm not a business major, but, uh, kind of at the last minute and by last minute, I mean like June, July of the, the summer after my senior year, I, I did a pivot and ended up going to East Texas Baptist to do my undergrad oh. in music. Um, I had auditioned there previously and just really felt like that's the direction I was supposed to go. And so we pulled the trigger on it and jumped in and I would say the rest is history, but it's not mm-hmm. completely as straightforward as that. Uh, sometimes we come to things in a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> indirect way. Um, so I kept going straight through school and my my background uh, is in education. So I got my undergrad in music ed but then I went straight through my master's and th- through my doctorate after that. So I didn't have any public teaching experience beyond my student teaching um, for almost 10 years. Uh, and, and I was really thinking that maybe I was going to just land a college gig or something like that. And the opportunity arose for me to teach alongside my wife at a small school outside of Lubbock. Aww. And I already had the certificates and everything. I just had never, never done it. And so we talked about it, prayed about it and, um, decided to to do that. And so while I was finishing up my PhD, um, started working full-time as a band director alongside my wife. She was my first boss. And uh, <laughs> then in the following semester, we we switched roles and, and I took the head position from there. And that was almost 16 years ago. Um, and we've had a lot of fun things happen between now and then. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell, if you will. And where where did you say that you got your your graduate degrees from? 
Yeah. So my undergraduate was at East Texas Baptist in Marshall, Texas. And then I did my master's and doctorate both at Texas Tech. But funny, funny twist of fate, if you will. Uh, the master's was in instrumental conducting, a.k.a. Okay. the band director degree, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then my doctorate, oddly enough, Texas Tech has this unique um, fine arts PhD program where you take several core classes in fine arts. So like a philosophy, visual arts, theater, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you pass a core uh, qualifying exam in that area, but then you also focus in on your, your major area, which for me was music history or musicology. So my degree officially is fine arts musicology, which kind of means I'm a super nerd, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just really what I felt like I was supposed to do. So that second degree that I got at Texas Tech was quite a bit different from, uh, from the two that came before. Mm-hmm. So what made you want to want to focus on, on music history for your doctoral degree? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of things. Um, so if you remember me saying a little bit ago that, um, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that I was going to be a like straight up middle school, high school band director, that kind of thing. Um, I was thinking college was going to be more the direction that I was going and I love education. Um, I've, I've always tried to, apply myself and continue to take classes and professional development and stuff like that. You know, I'm constantly reading to just develop that, that mindset and whatnot. Um, so it's just kind of a, a thing, thing with me. And so I just went straight through school and the, the music history part really appealed to me. I took some upper level graduate level classes in music history to fulfill my degree requirement with my master's and just fell in love with it. Um, I love research. I love writing. I love, um, just digging into content that's, I guess at a greater level of specificity than just surface area stuff. And it opened up the opportunity for me to be a graduate assistant in the musicology department at tech. Um, and so I said, why not? I'm already here. Let's just keep (laughs) going to school and, um, you know, pushed straight on through, through the PhD. Um, but yeah, just, just a little bit of little shifting gears there. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, I actually had a question. So after, all of that um, education, what did your like first few years of teaching look like? Great question. So <laughs> um, hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the, I guess with the right perspective on anything and, and, you know, asking questions is, is so key and, and getting connected with a mentor, like it's going to be hard because there's no amount of preparation that can really truly get you ready for stepping into the classroom the first time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you know, you think of an ideal situation, like you went from this school through your education, you got your degree and then you go into a school that is almost exactly the Mm -hmm. same or exactly like what your, your experience was. But all of a sudden you're standing at the front of the classroom instead of being a student in it. And your eyes are open to things that you never even realized were happening behind the scenes that your Mm -hmm. teachers were just so good at keeping those plates spinning or whatever. Um, And then there's the emails and there's the phone calls and there's the score study. And then there's all the things that have nothing to do with music education that you just do to try to Mm -hmm. keep your, you keep your job and your administrators and, you know, your stakeholders and things, you know, so there's all of that. Um, but at the end of the day, the most rewarding part of it is that you are impacting lives. You are um, digging into the content that you've been so passionate about, and you'll be able to to see those light bulbs come on and those aha moments in your students, and uh, to see them be be successful. Whether it's in you know finally understanding a rhythm or a piece of music, or doing a 
a solo and ensemble contest or region, whatever it is, right. Just being mm-hmm. able to see that, that come around full circle. Um, it, it makes the hard a lot easier. Right. Yeah. And, um, again, having a place that you can, um, connect with somebody who's walked that road before you is, is completely, completely valuable to you, you know, and to be able to also have somebody that you can safely vent to from time to time, <laughs> you know, uh, cause there are times when you just need to decompress and, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a, a loved one or, you know, um, a mentor or just a, a really good friend or whatever it is, just be able to say that, you know, I feel like quitting today, but it's okay. And mm-hmm. tomorrow's another day. And by the end of the week, I'm going to feel completely different. And by the end of the month, I'm going to be completely different. And then by the end of the semester, the end of the year, and, and you look back on it with a whole lot bigger focus than the day to day, hour by hour, period by period mentality when it's just, it's hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I, I don't know that you're going to be fully prepared for stepping into the classroom, but you can get through it. And that's the important thing. There's a lot of hope there. And if you can make it through the first one to two to three years, um, that's how people build careers in this, in this field. So. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean on like not seeing the big picture. Like October has been a really hard month with behavior and just like all the things you have to check off the list and everything. Um, And so I've found myself just really discouraged every day. Um, But reminding, you know, reminding me of that, like, okay, well, you know, at the end of October, it's going to be different. Or at the end of the school year, it's going to be different. Um, That's really encouraging. So. Well, I think it's important too, Kara, and I'm glad you said that, that um, this is so much of what we, what we do on a, on a day in and day out is um, we, we micromanage mm-hmm. like we, as, as educators, as performance based people, uh, we're constantly troubleshooting and like we yeah. pick apart things. We, we find the negative in things and try to find a way to fix it. So we spend eight hours a day. If you have that many preps or that many rehearsals that you're in literally finding what's wrong with stuff, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. And so you've already got that, that um, you've already got that mentality that you're working with because we are such a, a detail oriented profession. And then you add to that classroom management and you add to that uh, a middle school brain that the seasons are changing outside or the, mm-hmm. the full moon is out or, <laughs> you know, they didn't get, what they wanted for lunch or, you know, my friend looked at me funny, it's just yeah. whatever it is. And you add that dynamic to it. And all of a sudden, like, it's very easy to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And yet when you begin to look forward to that, okay, well, the next big project is my Christmas concert and I love Christmas music mm-hmm. or my next big project is I'm going to get to take 15 of my top kids to an all region tryout. And then you find out that, um, you know, 12 out of the 15 made it or whatever. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, this, yeah, this is why I do what Mm -hmm. I do, you know? And that's why, that's why you never evaluate at the end of one day for your future. (laughs) You go, that was a day. I'm going to take some things. I'm going to make some notes and then I'm going to go to bed. And then tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to try again. And then I'm going to look at it this weekend when I have some time to decompress. And Mm -hmm. and, yeah. That's a really good point that you brought up that I never really thought of it that way in that, like what you said about your job, when you, when you break it down, like as a music teacher, your job basically, I mean, it's obviously it's not the only thing, but one of the biggest aspects of your job is to 
notice what's wrong about about stuff and then and then make it better um and i'm like that makes a lot of sense on how like it's so easy i think for for teachers and especially music teachers um since that's the kind of teaching where it's feedback based where you're you're not always going to teach the same thing every year it's going to vary depending on the group of people you have and so you're constantly having to you know be listening and 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 paying attention to what needs improvement and when that's literally your job and you're doing that every every single day almost every day of the week for months and years I think it can be so easy to fall into that mindset with everything, with everything else or to have too much of that, you know, where you have that over overly critical mindset. Um, cause I'm thinking like, like for my job, I mean, that's, that's not what I do. I'm, I'm as an admissions counselor, I'm, I reach out to people and I, I try to get them to come do stuff. I, I give them information, like it's informational and it's relational, but it's not necessarily critical, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a critical position. And, and obviously teachers have those aspects as well, but, but that's such a large part of what y'all do. That's, that's very, very unique in that instance. I think something to add to that too, if I may, is that, um, the, the picking apart that, that we do, you know, it's very easy, um, to get drawn into the, the critical mindset, but also the, like the cynical jaded perspective too, because Mm -hmm. if you're working with something that might be, and and this is part of programming, we might get to that a little bit later, but, um, when you start thinking about, okay, here's where my students are, this is our baseline, but where I want them to be a month from now or a semester, a year from now is I want them to be at this level. And so I'm going to push them. I'm going to give them something Mm -hmm. that's just a little bit beyond where they are potential wise. And my job is to grow them into that. But there's also going to be growing pains and there's also going to be frustrations. There are going to be times when when it doesn't come across the way that it needs to. And you're like, do I give up? Do I throw in the towel? Do I drop it back down to something I know they can accomplish? Is there a concert that's coming in a week and a half and I still can't get that one pattern or that one Mm -hmm. lick or whatever it is? Um, And and so it's very easy to to get into that self-defeating cycle. But when it does break through and when those aha moments come and if you could just stick with it just a little bit longer, like any task or any problem, then those breakthroughs happen. And it's like, man, that was awesome. <laughs> you know? So there is a payoff, but yeah, like you said, Christian, it's, um, it's, it's much different than just, uh, providing opportunities and, and possibilities, uh, in, in sharing information. It's like mm-hmm. digging down into the, the nitty gritty. Let us take a quick break real quick so I can tell you a little bit about this podcast's primary sponsor, which is Christian Fortner Music. That's right, my own music business. This is the primary platform that I use to sell my music, and you can uh, find it at www.christianfortner, that's F-O-R-T-N-E-R, music.com. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I don't know, this guy is a young composer. Does he really know what he's doing? Well, (laughs) to be honest, none of us composers really know what we're doing if if we're being completely honest with ourselves. But if you want to kind of get an idea of what my music might be like and if it might be a good fit for your ensemble, you can actually uh, get a free copy of music from me. That's right, a free piece of music. This isn't just a study score. This is a full score and parts that you can use for your ensemble to perform completely for free. And you can do that by signing up for my mailing list. So if you go to my website, Christian Fortner, that's F-O-R-T-N-E-R, music.com slash mailings, 
You can sign up for my mailing list right there and you'll get a link in your inbox where you can select a piece of music for either choir, string orchestra, or band. And I should also mention that the choir piece, it can be either an SAB, SA, or TB version. So uh, for any of you out there that are looking for SAB, SA, TB, specific voicings like that, then this might be a good opportunity for you. Uh, So yeah, that's about it. Again, if that's something you'd be interested in, just check it out on my website. And now we can get back to the episode. So switching gears a little bit, um, this is a question I want to ask, again, just as someone that's not as familiar with the band side, um, th- if there's any veteran band directors listening, they may be like, oh, I don't need to hear this, but maybe for some younger people. Um, and you don't have to get, I mean, you can get as specific as you want, but I just kind of wonder, okay, as a band director, and you kind of brushed on this earlier at the beginning, on there are just a lot of different aspects to like, especially when it comes to like marching band and, and, and just in general, there are so many different elements that all have to fit together. It's not just you teaching music. There's like lots of other things that go along with that. Could you just provide kind of like a, a general, like just when you think about, you know, it's the start of the year or the start of the planning season, let's say for, for marching season, for instance, what are, what is just all the list of things that go through your head of, okay, I need to take care of this, 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 this you know, all those different, those different things. Yeah. So, uh, so how long is our podcast? Uh, just now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good, good answer. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I'll give you a couple of things that are, are always, always at the forefront of our thinking, um, depending, and, and I want to qualify this statement too, because depending on the, um, the level of complexity of the program that you're working with and yeah. the personnel that you have at your disposal and the scheduling constraints and things like that, like I, Abilene High used to be a 6A program until this year. Now we're a 5A program. The only thing that's different is the number at the beginning of it, right? Like Mm -hmm. it still has that many moving parts. And so we are blessed to have uh, more support and more people that will help us do the things than say a 1A, 2A, 3A school, something like that, where my wife and I got our start in 6 through 12, we were it, right? Mm -hmm. But we still had a marching program, you know? So that's my disclaimer and all that. But you think about... Uh, in, in some cases you're going to have somebody who is your percussion specialist. You're going to have somebody who is your color guard coordinator. You're going to have somebody who can, uh, help you be your visual person that does fundamentals and, and teaches you how to physically move the body, you know, but take it back one more step. Some of the people that are in those, um, in, in those casted roles, if you will, uh, are incoming freshmen that have absolutely no idea what marching band encompasses. They just know that there's the sit down band that they had in middle school and they've been to football games and they know that we're loud and we do something during halftime. And they're like, well, that's really cool. I think I want to do that in high school, but they don't know how we get the music and the movement together. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've got to teach them how to play a whole lot more music in a shorter amount of time than they did in Mm -hmm. middle school. We have to teach them how to put their left foot in front of their right foot. (laughs) We have to teach them how to, um, then put the playing and the marching together. Then we have to teach them how to do that while listening to other people. Then we add the percussion part. Then we add the front ensemble. Then we add the color guard. Then we add electronics. Then, you know, so that list can go on and on and on. But the biggest thing comes back to that, that structuring it's, it's a scaffolding of sorts. So in the planning process, you think, okay, if I need them to be here by this point, what two to three to four things do I have to be able to pre-teach to get them there? 
And it might be that back in April or May, I bring all of my incoming freshmen, rookies or whatever, and my leadership team, uh, and then the directors in, and we do a little Saturday fun camp to introduce marching fundamentals. And then we do in summer band a week with just our color guard, our flags, you know, our dance, our dance group. And then we do another week that's just for leadership training. And we do another week that's just for percussion and they can overlap. It's not like we're just all summer, every single week doing something, but it's those type of things that you have to put into motion so that when it comes time to start learning your show, you have that foundation in place. Right. Um, and then I could just go on and on and on about all the other details and logistics and things that again, really have nothing to do with teaching people music, but helps us get from this location to this football game or this contest or loading this semi or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where my brain went. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Oh no, of course. I'm just trying to, to get a better idea and, and have other people get a better idea of just how many different, different things you have to be, you know, thinking about initially. And and so I guess going off of that is, is both Kara and I are the kind of people where it's so easy for us to think of if there's a huge number of tasks where, that we have to get done. It's so easy to think of all of those things together and to easily get overwhelmed before you're even able to, to do any of them. And, and, and so then it makes it hard to even do one thing. Right. But, but then that, maybe pushes things further back, mm-hmm. which then increases the stress, the overwhelm, because now it's, oh, now we're even closer. We still haven't, done, you know, the, yeah, those kind like of things. Unintentional procrastinating. It's like, you're just so overwhelmed that you don't even know like yeah. what to do. So you're just like kind of frozen. Yeah. And analysis paralysis. Yes. Like yeah. Too. yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Overthink exactly. the thinking. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I guess my question is, what does that process look like? I mean, maybe for for you individually, but also since you have a team of individuals, you know, with you that, and, and that's one advantage that, that band programs, or at least larger band programs have is that there are different people that can focus on more, those more specific things, depending on what area they fall. So I guess during that time when it's, it's time to start planning and, and, and figuring out how that stuff is going to work, what does that process look like maybe for you personally and, or just as a, as a team? I think the key there is um, you don't have to necessarily live and die by the list, but you do have Mm -hmm. to dedicate a time period to like just kind of plan out your day, plan out your week, plan out your month. You know, our, our band program has the the Google calendar on our website and um, going all the way back to April of the previous year within, I would say maybe 10 to 15% uh, of, of the total number of dates and times and locations, like everything for the entire next school year is on there. Mm-hmm. So that when I go to my fine arts planning meeting and we start looking at calendars and spaces and making sure we don't have concerts and rehearsals and things overlapping, or mm-hmm. if we do that, we have a plan to make it work. Like I, all of that is planned in advance. So that's, that's the macro, right? Mm-hmm. And then you take it a step into more of the, the micro and you begin to say, okay, so how do I get to that next thing? Okay. Well, I know that I'm looking at a, um, nine to 12 week production and it's going to take, you know, by this point, I need to be able to have this much of something on the field. I need to make sure that I've pre-taught this music by this point, which means I need to pre-teach the the drill to it by this point, you know, and so you just begin to kind of reverse engineer it. Right. Um, so you're thinking about those kind of things. Yes. There are times when we, as musicians, I guess, probably because that whole, 
higher level thinking, being able to like process stuff on the, you know, on the fly that sometimes we are guilty of saying, you know, I just, I did not prepare as much as I wanted for this rehearsal. So I'm just going to try to just try to get through it. Mm-hmm. You just can't do that very often. You know, that has to be kind of like a, the exception to the rule, not the norm. Um, so there's, there's really just thinking ahead about what it is that you need to accomplish. And if it's a list for you, great. If it's a Google calendar for you, great. If it's detailed lesson plans, whatever level of detail you need to go in, you've got to have a plan because the kids are going to figure it out pretty quickly if you're, if you're not right. Mm -hmm. And then your results will speak for themselves. So there's that. And then as far as working on a team, the bigger the task, the more people you want to have their hands on it but the buck still has to stop with whoever's in charge. So whether you're the, um, you know, thinking about musical theater, you're the, you're the stage manager or you're the, the production design person, or you're, um, just simply the one that's rehearsing the chorus, you know, what, whatever it is, it still answers to somebody who's in charge, who's, who's running the program. Right. But you can also farm out and delegate and share responsibilities with a lot of those other people. And if you're fortunate enough to have a team and you've been able to assemble that team and you know where their strengths are, for instance, I'm a brass person, but I'm also the most senior member of my staff. So I have the longevity and the experience that they don't have. But I also can lean on their strengths, which is I have a woodwind person. I have a percussion person. I have a, a visual specialist. Um, and so I can assign them responsibilities to make sure that I don't have to micromanage that aspect, which I could do, but it would just wear me out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I, I, th- I think that's that's the big thing is that if you've got the resources, use them. And it may be just a team of parents. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not be that you have that staff, but you can assemble the people who are um intimately involved with what you do because they were either in choir before or in band before, or they just love their kids and they want to be involved. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the key is just figuring out, okay, if there's a kid that could do this for us and it could turn out well, if there's a parent that could step in and make this happen, like maybe uniform fittings, if there's a, a, a teacher's aide or something that could come in and help us make copies, like you don't have to do all the things. They just have to get done. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. So I, I guess that's kind of where, <laughs> yeah, where, where I head with that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's great to know. And so, and does that like, as far as what that looks like when you're with your team and everything, I mean, is that, is that just as simple as you all have a meeting in a, in the room and all just go down the list of things or like a zoom call, or is it, is that just kind of what that looks like? Or some of it is that way. Um, the larger, planning sessions that we do do happen where we like set aside time. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do periodically have just sort of a, you know, state of the union check-in, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it can be, um, I just get up from my desk and I walk into the office next to mine and I sit down with one of my assistant directors and we just talk about, okay, what's working? What do we need to tackle? What's Mm -hmm. next? What do we want to do for tomorrow? What polo shirt do you want to wear on Friday for the game? You know, just, (laughs) (laughs) it can be as simple as that. Um, but just having those conversations and being in communication. Um, and then when you have those specialists, I, I think it's important to allow them to play to their strengths. You have people that have degrees. You have people that have some measure of teaching experience. You have people that have connections with the students and relationships that um, that's why I hired them. You know, and so I want them to be able to be who they are and then I can just supervise. And if I feel like I need to step in, I can. But then having that understanding, that working relationship. And I, I could even say like, you know, Christian, you and Kara 
the longer that you guys are together, you're going to begin to kind of share a brain, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. share, share a way of doing things. And you're going to complete each other's sentences and be able to uh, just anticipate the needs of one another. Um, th- there is a degree of relationship that happens with a staff. If it's cohesive mm-hmm. and it's healthy that you just see a need and you jump in and you can even just with like, an understanding, even body language, be able to communicate that, Hey, I need you to tackle this. And it just gets done because they see that. And they know that that's the next thing that I would ask for or whatever, but that takes time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And patience. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so I kind of want to talk about just rehearsing. Well, well, let's start with this. Um, another unique thing about band is that you do have two primary different seasons of, uh, and forms, I should say of performance, because you have the concert band side of things, which is more of your, what people are, you know, where you sit down and you listen and you play and, and that's it, you know, and then there is there, and then there is marching season, of course, which everybody kind of knows how that works as well. Um, what kind of, you, you know, you know, as an audience member, like obviously you can just plainly see the difference in how that looks and how that kind of kind of works. But when it comes to to teaching those two different areas, I mean, is there a big difference in how you go about um, go about teaching those different those different areas, or or is it more similar than than you would think? I, I think it's a little bit of both, a little column A, column B, and mm-hmm. here's why. Um, <clears throat> you know, you think about you think about good music programs and what they're really trying to accomplish is to be able to create a, um, a decent tone that's well supported with ensemble skills that has balance and blend. And that there's an, uh, uh, a component of musicality in the way that you present it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of your, your base level. doesn't matter what season it is. So whether you're doing band and chairs or band on the run, <laughs> as I've heard yeah. some people talk about it. Um, those things have to be in place. And in fact, if you go to contests, if you're if you're into that sort of thing, like there's there's rubrics that talk about tone and technique, mm-hmm. and then the only other thing that they add is execution with spacing and intervals and things like that. With is is you know are the sets and things showing up the way that they need to, but like sixty percent of that rubric is still does it sound good. Does it sound like it should? Does a trumpet sound like a trumpet, whether it's outside on a football field or it's mm-hmm. sitting in a band chair on a stage, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I think you teach, you teach those elements all year round, but there are some innate challenges because what you have is your band sound indoors. Mm-hmm. And this might be a little bit of a, a pedagogy thing. There are some people that like to really explore the full range of dynamics. There are others that are a little bit more conservative. And mm-hmm. so you can't take that same conservative approach and stick it on a marching field yeah. because then your woodwinds would never project past the warning track on the yeah. outside of the football field mm-hmm. and your judges are like halfway up the press box, you know? Mm-hmm. So there are some things that you have to adjust there. There's, there's different breathing, there's different projection, there's different ways that you carry yourself to be able to make that sound go where it needs to. But by the same measure, if you think of it as a year round program, what I do in the fall enhances what I do in the spring, mm-hmm. what I do in the spring sets the stage for what I do mm. in the fall. Yeah. Right. And you're constantly building your program based upon the strengths and the future needs of your ensemble. 
And as you graduate a group of seniors, you've got an incoming group of freshmen. And it may be that your instrumentation, like what we're dealing with this year, I lost a lot of really good, strong players in depth in certain sections. And we didn't bring as many of those particular Mm -hmm. instruments in the next year. So all of a sudden you've got a little bit of an off balance. So what you have to do is you have to make up for it with other ways. And sometimes you have to program more creatively because you just don't have that whatever instrument or that color or that whatever. Um, and so you're, you're constantly thinking ahead to what's next, um, which is good because then it goes back to that planning thing, right? Mm-hmm. That you're, you're, you're thinking about, okay, how do I get to this point when I'm here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, but I do think that it is important that there is good, consistent teaching that happens across the board year round and you just tailor it for, you know, what is the, uh, what does the next presentation look like and where is it going to happen? Was that something that you just kind of got a hold of pretty quickly when you started teaching or did it, did it take some time to kind of, to kind of get that solidified or maybe the fact that you were with your wife that kind of helped, kind of helped you see that earlier. I mean, how, how was that for you personally? Um, I, I think it's, a, <clears throat> I think it's kind of a, a coming of age sort of thing that, mm. that you see some of that. And especially if you were involved in a program that, that had any, um, I guess, long-term planning in place. Like you, you see that happening and you experienced it, but until you're the one that has the name on the program, (laughs) you don't, you don't really understand what it takes to get there or how important it is. Yeah. Like when I was in band in high school, when I was in band in college, like I was developing certain skills and I knew that I was looking forward to marching season is even as I was preparing for my UIL program in the spring mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. I was mm-hmm. looking forward to being able to play my Christmas concert at some point because I was getting cold and tired of doing marching season, <laughs> you know, Yeah. but I don't think I really grasped just how much of the, the thread there is that goes all the way through the program throughout the course mm-hmm. of the year um, until I was the one in charge doing it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's something that I think can be, I mean, you can break that down into such, well, it can be applied to pretty much any aspect of life, but you can also break it down into much smaller examples. Like, like for some reason, like when you were talking about that, I was thinking about how, like, like, for example, like when I'm traveling, recruiting, um, you know, I'm on the road and I go to a college fair and it's from six to 8 PM. And then I get back to my hotel and it's like, okay, I'm thinking about the next day and it's like, okay, maybe my fair starts at eight o'clock. And so initially you think, okay, well, I want to wake up at, you know, six 30 or whatever. So I can get ready and then go. It's like, well, wait a minute, but it's 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And then, so then I'm actually gonna have to get up earlier. Oh, and then I need time to check out of my hotel. And so then I need to do that. And then it's like, Oh man. So then maybe I should go straight to bed right now instead of, you know, working on something for the next hour, you know? And, and so just kind of having that, you start develop, you develop that kind of thought process of, okay, there's actually a lot more I need to be thinking about ahead of time than I, you know, at first glance. (laughs) And it's a, it's a learned skill. I don't think anybody, no matter how adept they are Mm -hmm. at, you know, just, just having that, that real specific kind of type a planning personality, real detail. Yeah. I don't, I don't care who you are. All of us mm-hmm. can get better in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then before I forget, kind of going back to what we were saying just about the two different seasons, I was just to relate this back to choir, since that's kind of our background, <clears throat> as I thought to me that that's kind of the equivalent of 
you have like choral singing, but then you also have solo classical singing, but then you also have like contemporary style singing and you have like musical theater, right? And to me, like, I feel like marching band is in a way kind of like the musical theater side of like choral singing because there's a lot more expression and, and like, you know, design uh, visual elements incorporated in that. And to me, I feel like that'd be the equivalent, like if for some reason choir was to where you did like a theater performance type stuff one semester or, mm-hmm. or show choir and then you did you know choral just your normal choral singing another semester that would just be such a crazy um change for that and there are there'd be pros and cons to that for sure but um i just kind of thought of that as i mean i don't know if you agree with that kara but to me that just kind of illustrates for me that's not as used to that it's like there's a there's a big change there and there's i have a lot of respect for band directors being able to to not just like you were saying not just switch from one to the other but use both of those to play off of each other over Mm -hmm. time yeah and kara i'd be i'd be interested to hear from you i know that you're interviewing me but (laughs) if you would give me a moment here like when you're when you're doing warm-ups and things let's say you are preparing for a pops concert um Mm -hmm. you could do warm-ups that are getting you ready for that. But I would dare say that you're probably going to be doing some sight reading and some solfege and, um, you know, basic tone production and range building and stuff like that. But with the proper tone and the right vowel selection, um, and then you carry it over. You wouldn't just immediately start with don't stop believing as your warm up. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) At at least not if you want to create a, a long-term solution for your, your program. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've, found i mean it there are some things that obviously preparing for your pops concert is different than you know preparing for uil and as far as like even just prepping for warm-ups um i might do some more like energetic and like vocal timbre changes with uh my pops warm-ups and more like blending and other things for UIL, but yeah, there, there's difference even in those two aspects too. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking of like, you know, we sing in, we, we, we like right now we sing in classical chorus of Abilene and then, but we also sing in backbeat, which is the acapella Mm -hmm. pop group. And, and like for me, you know, so classical chorus rehearsals on Monday Monday. nights (laughs) and then backbeat rehearsal is Tuesday Tuesday nights and the warm ups we do in backbeat, is nothing like what we do the night before. And it yeah. really requires that change in mindset as a performer. And, and, and of course we have two different directors for those two different groups. So they don't really have to necessarily, you know, change as far as teaching goes, but that just kind of illustrates. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different iterations there that you really have to work on. And, and I think being able to illustrate why you're doing those things and and illustrating that to the students as you're doing them is yeah and that's going with that like having preparing warm-ups for what you're already going to be teaching them later in the class is like really important and um, i had a student have like that moment where it like clicked she was like oh that's like kind of like the warm-up we did just a few minutes ago and i was like Yes. Um, we were, I did like a dynamic one where I did what, what we did in backbeat the other day where we started at like a level five and we just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then we get into one of our pieces and each little phrase, like it's like kind of like terrace dynamics where it's like it gets softer and bigger and bigger. And she's like, oh, that's like the warm up we did. And I said, yes, 
Yes, I'm so glad that you noticed Gold that. Gold star for you. <laughs> Light bulb. That, that's like one of the re- rewarding moments as a teacher. It's like, oh, they are understanding what I'm doing. You know, like <laughs> it all has purpose. Okay. And so then, so now we're t- kind of, t- I want to talk a little bit more on like the concert side of things. Um, but I guess, honestly, this can still apply to, to marching band. And you mentioned uh, programming earlier. And that is something I kind of wanted to talk about just um and especially as a as a composer, uh, I like to hear more about you know what are directors' thoughts when it comes to programming and things like that. But I guess let me start by just asking, like for you, when you're programming music for um, for your groups, whether that's marching band or concert, you know what does that what does that process really look like uh, for you? It starts early. Um, there's a lot of listening. That, that takes place um, a lot of time on, you know, different music publishers, websites and things. And it does involve score study. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that there's always a <clears throat> there's always a pedagogical aspect to it because it's not just something that that sounds fun or that looks like it would be cool or just because it's on the newest list that I have to do it or, you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so often it is it, it's something that I get started with early. <laughs> And then I think the other big thing that's equally important is that you have to think about um, who you're working with and what you want to accomplish, right? If it's that I just want to get a first division rating at X contest Mm -hmm. and I don't really care about anything else, like we can play that, you know, we Mm -hmm. can play that card, we can, we can play that game. But if I want to um, push the kids, because I know that some of these kids are going to be my leaders for next year. Some of them will be my seniors that are graduating. And this is the last chance that I get to like really work with their skill set and stuff like that. Then I may want to feature somebody who was practically an all state musician on X instrument, you know? So you, you teach to those strengths, but you also don't want to just maintain the status quo. And I'm a firm believer that maintaining is really kind of a fallacy. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no like just the same, like that doesn't really exist in, in, in life. So with all that in mind, I do a lot of listening. I do a lot of score study and I usually try to narrow it down to maybe five to eight pieces Mm -hmm. uh, for like a spring UIL program. Uh, If you're wanting to be competitive, then there's a whole nother discussion we can have about that where there are people that program things that they think they can one up their nearest competitor with. But I, I want my kids to be invested in it. I want them to enjoy working on it for a couple of months. Um, I want to make sure it's something that I'm not going to get tired of rehearsing for a couple of months, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> um, but that they also will, will be really pleased with the process and the product when we get through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think I might add something, Christian, if, yeah. if I will, you know, concert band in the spring, has a couple of different iterations as well. You've got the the overarching contest, especially in Texas with, with UIL, and that's going to look and feel a certain way. And there's certain things that we have to play off of certain lists and stuff like that. Um, certain levels of difficulty based on your ensemble size or whether it's your top group, second group, whatever. Um, but then you got your possibility of doing like a winter concert or a spring yeah. concert or something like that, or maybe even something you're going to take to a festival. And there are some camps where they feel like, well, we worked really hard on these three pieces. I really like this one. And so we're going to take that over and carry it over to mm-hmm. the, the spring concert. But then the spring concert is also one of those where there aren't really any rules and you might be willing to try something a little bit out of the box. You might be able to 
play a pops tune. You might be able to yeah. collaborate with several ensembles and put like one big production together. I mean, there's just so many different possibilities. Bring in a guest artist, you know, whatever you yeah. want to do. Yeah. So that looks a lot different too than um, <clears throat> just your typical sit down band that I think a lot of people think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and that, I remember what I was going to say, and that those are all examples of things that you can, you can set goals for yourself for, you, you need to, you need to define what you want to fulfill. Um, cause you, you can't fulfill what you don't f- define. So, um, so you want to, you want to take a moment at the beginning, whether probably during that planning process, you know, of whatever season it is that's coming up and, 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 you know, ask yourself, you know, what is it that I want to accomplish by the end of this? So that then that's, that's going to be the first thing that really gives you the track that you need to take. Cause it's, it's not going to look the same depending on what it is you're wanting to do. Um, and that, that's even something that I, that for me as a composer that I really want to do better at this coming year. Um, now that I've kind of got my footing on a few things, I really want to, you know, sit, take a, take a moment and think, okay, what, what do I want to, what do I want to, you know, get to the end of 2023 and say, this is what I was wanting to do. And I was able to, to do that <laughs> so that I can, you know, have that, that direction. Well, I think we are, uh, I think we're about at the hour mark, maybe a little bit over. Um, and so, I mean, I think it might be a good place to wrap it up, but before we go, I mean, is there anything else that you want to, to add that you think is just good for people, for our listeners to know? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you again for the invitation. Um, this has been a joy. Um, <laughs> it's course. one thing to have you guys as online students. It's entirely different to be able to like have a, even if it's a scheduled time to like have a dialogue about <laughs> yeah. things beyond, you know, did you, did you remember to do your Schmerg analysis? I think we just had a little PTSD moment there, <laughs> yes, but, um, but, but in all seriousness, like never, never stop learning. Never start, never stop giving yourself the opportunity to uh, do things that put you out of your comfort zone. Because we, when we get too comfortable, that's when decline happens. And, and when we uh, feel challenged, think of that as an opportunity that opens up doors for new possibilities. And so, you know, make sure that you're not the biggest person in the room. Surround yourself yeah. with people who are um, going to challenge you and, and, question sometimes the things that you're doing because eventually that can help refine the process and it's an opportunity that's happening for you rather than mm-hmm. an inconvenience that's happening to you right mm-hmm. so i think i think those are the kind of things that if i could say any word of wisdom especially for a young educator and that's that's where my heart is is equipping people that are coming into the profession that um you always have an opportunity to continue to develop your skill sets so you may be incredible. You may be even more qualified to do the job than I am, the one that I've been doing for however long I've been doing it. But um, we can still learn from each other, you know, so always, always be willing to slow down long enough to to have those moments and to to glean from those conversations and things like that. Yeah. As an educator, as someone that that teaches, the, the best way to teach people is to model how to learn always be curious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. That's, that's something to, to always remember is if, if you're doing something that's make that, that is uncomfortable, you're probably growing. <laughs> so that's good to know yeah. <laughs> for sure. Cool. All righty. Well, well, Dr. Kramer, thank you so much for being on the show with us. And, and again, um, before I forget, before we go, can you just kind of plug your, your programs that you're doing and, and tell, tell our audience where, if they want to just keep up with what y'all are doing over there at Abilene High, how they can, how they can reach y'all. 
Yeah. So we have our own website, eagleband.com. Um, I inherited that. Don't know how we managed to score the eagleband.com. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> that is our website. Yeah. yeah. We were the that's first, crazy. I guess. Um, and so there's a calendar and things like that with lots of, lots of details, but we have, um, our full band, marching band and concert band this spring. We have a great color guard program that's, that's up and running. We have steel band, we have jazz band. And of course we couldn't do any of the things that we do without our great middle school programs, uh, man, middle school under Amber Moore's direction. And then, um, the Craig band program with Dale Frimmer, they just have, have sent us amazing kiddos. And, um, you know, we continue to partner with them as we think more, vertically in terms of, you know, you're a sixth grader, but you're a member of the Abilene High Eagle Band already. And we're just mm-hmm. looking forward to the future in that respect. But yeah, lots of great things happening. And again, thanks guys for allowing me to be part of your program. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, we will see everybody next, I was about to say next week, but in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Adios. Adios.